taking a look at the word coming out of BPS, problems on the O-line, a preview of this week's Iowa State matchup, and covering our first ever Pete's projections, this is Pete's Playbook. That's not true! So get your facts straight. Are you kidding me? That's all I got to say. Makes me want to puke. It is. Is time for another edition of the Pete's Playbook Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jonathan McKee, and Gundy had a lot to say after last week's loss to South Alabama. And we also have our first ever Peach projections to go through. So without further ado, let's jump into it. So with the fan base firmly pressing the panic button three weeks into the season, Gundy jumps on stage for his press conference and had a lot of interesting takes. First up, he gets up there and compares himself to Nick Saban. He said, oh, didn't he run a three-quarterback system? Oh, so yeah. See, him and he and I are we're a lot we're a lot alike when you take out the six or seven national championships. Now, this was obviously meant as a joke, but when you just told the fan base that you got out coached by South Alabama and Major Applewhite, it comes across a little tone deaf. Nobody really finds it funny. But what we want to know is how you're going to fix what we just saw and keep it from happening again this weekend. But instead. Gundy's all smiles and comparing himself to one of the most successful coaches in college football history. Now, with that being said, Gundy's never really been one to be all doom and gloom in his press conferences. And honestly, what's he supposed to say? Well, we suck and everybody should just give up. Thanks for coming. No, he's not going to say that. Everybody's aware that last weekend was absolutely unacceptable. But again, it's a little weird to come out after a bad loss and compare yourself to a coach that has multiple national titles just because he also used a three-quarterback system. The actual point that should have been made from this is that he used a three-quarterback system and it also didn't work. And nobody should ever try it because it's a bad idea. Now on the topic of a failed three-quarterback system, He later said in his press conference that all three quarterbacks looked good against South Alabama, and nothing's changed, and we're going to be rolling it out again this weekend in Ames. I still don't understand how this coaching staff can look at the film for all three games and think to themselves, now that was a good idea, that's really working, we should keep doing that. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know who it is, that Alan Bowman's the guy, or Rangel's the guy. I have no idea. We haven't seen a single QB get comfortable and get in a rhythm and run the offense. We also haven't seen any of them do anything that sets them apart from the others. Now, I've seen things that I like and things that I dislike from each of them. I like Bowman's arm. I like Gundy's legs. I like Rangel's ability to do both. The decision-making across the board isn't terrible. Gundy's was a little questionable against South Alabama. He had a lot of close throws. But that's why we pay the coaches the money that we pay them. It's their job to make the decision and roll with it. But they can't do that. Now, he probably hasn't named a starting quarterback and plans to play all three again because he doesn't see any major problems that can't be fixed. Apparently, everything's all sunshine and rainbows and we're all just overreacting and that a loss to South Alabama is not really that bad. So again, this is kind of a slap in the face of the fan base after watching a game full of major problems. One of those major problems is the offensive line. Gundy finally got the guy that he wanted to coach his offensive line. Charlie Dickey was at Kansas State. 
coached a lot of great offensive lines. They were always good. He's been wanting this guy for forever. Well, he finally gets him. What have we had? Since we've had Charlie Dickey, we haven't really had a good offensive line. Now, going back and watching the game, you can see that we've got missed blocks and pass protection, particularly from the left side of the line, and almost no push and run blocking. Now, things got a little better when they started shuffling around in the second half. You know, blocks got tightened up, less things were missed, the communication looked better. And there's some technique issues, some first steps that are slow, some communication issues, a center that doesn't really like having a nose tackle right in his face. But the thing that stands out to me is what seems like a slow decision-making process. We've got guys on the edge getting beat because their first step's slow, and then they can't catch up to the, fa- to the faster edge rushers. We've got interior guys getting bull rushed because we didn't get a good push off the snap. So it almost seems like they may be second-guessing themselves or that they're unsure of what they're supposed to be doing. I think this all boils down to the scheme of the offense. Now, the talk all offseason was the implementation of a new run game. We're going to bring in fullbacks. We're going to bring in tight ends. We're going to pull guards and tackles, pull a tight end. We're going to sure up the run game. Less zone, more gap scheme. And through three games, we haven't really seen that much of it. And when we do, it looks pretty good. Second half of the Arizona State game was full of it. We ran the ball pretty well in the second half of the Arizona State game. But for the most part, across the board, it's pretty much been the same offense that we've been running for years. So it makes you wonder, are they second-guessing themselves because of what they've been working on for the last six months? It's not what we're running in the games. It makes you wonder, did the coaching staff bail on what they worked on all offseason because they didn't like something they saw? Or are they still hiding it so that they can keep film out of the locker rooms of the teams that were coming up? Now, I'm not sure how taking a loss to South Alabama is better than giving film to future teams, but I don't know. It wouldn't really surprise me with some of the decision-making that's been going on lately, but I don't have the answers. I see problems, and some of them can be fixed, but I don't have answers for all of them. But I don't get paid millions of dollars to do so. That's Charlie Dickey, Casey Dunn, and Mike Gundy's jobs. I think it's doable. I think we could scheme around it a little better. If the problem on the offensive line is a lack of talent, then you use the short passing game as an extension of the run. You get Ollie Gordon, Elijah Collins, and Jaden Nixon in space and let them go to work. You use BP and Jaden Bray in quick passing routes and let them make a play. If you can't protect the quarterback, you get the ball out quick. If you can't block for the run game and open up gaps, you get the running backs in space on the edge. It seems pretty simple. But Casey Dunn comes out after the game and said, well, we got down early, so then we had to start throwing the ball, so we didn't get the ball to Ollie Gordon as much as we wanted. And they dropped back into cover too, so there was really nothing we could do. So what Casey Dunn just told every team is that if you come out and punch us in the mouth, then you get to sit in cover too for the rest of the game, and there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing we can do offensively to beat cover two. One of the most basic safe defenses... We can't beat. It's a little scary. Makes you worry. But we gotta try something different. Because running your head into a brick wall over and over is the definition of insanity. And speaking of insanity, we're gonna be running back a three-quarterback system again this weekend in Ames. 
And when you take a look at the offense since running this three-quarterback system, the numbers don't look good. Yards per play is low, yards per game is low, points per game is low. Speaking of these statistics, that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about, and a little something I like to call Pete's Projections. So I told you all last week that in my day job, I look at a lot of spreadsheets and metrics for my business. So I threw something together here to predict game outcomes based off of team averages. I took the rushing, passing, and total yards gained and allowed, as well as points scored and allowed for every team on the schedule, and used this to come up with a numbers-driven look into how these games may pan out. And we're going to go through this schedule, and we're going to cover the Iowa State game last, but... If we take a look at the Kansas State game coming up in three weeks after the bye week, this predicts a total score, final score, of 29-17, a loss at home. This is predicting that Kansas State's going to have 413 total yards and score 29 points. It's also predicting that we're only going to have 84 rushing yards and score 17 points. So that's telling, again, of how bad our rushing offense is. And when you take a look at the Kansas game, it's more of the same. It's a 29-21 loss, 431 total yards allowed, and 120 rushing yards gained. Move on, on to the West Virginia game. It's a 25-20 loss with 373 yards given and 106 yards gained. Rushing. Cincinnati, it's a 30-21 loss, 444 yards total offense given, 114 rushing yards gained. Bedlam. It's a 38-15 loss, 446 total yards of offense for the Sooners, and 99 rushing yards for the Cowboys. UCF's 31-16 loss, 492 yards total for UCF, and 118 rushing yards for the Cowboys. Houston, the only predicted win so far, is a 26-22 win. This is predicting that Houston will get 363 total yards, only 133 rushing, but that the Cowboys will be able to rush against this team with 147 rushing yards and 409 total yards. And then you take a look at the last game, BYU, at home, and it's a 26-18 loss, 331 total yards allowed, and 109 rushing yards gained. So when you take a look at all of this and you start adding up the numbers, that has a win total for the Cowboys of 3-9, and 1-8 and eight in conference. Now I'll keep these numbers up to date each week as the averages change, and hopefully that will bring some more wins into the schedule. I'm also going to be expanding this out to each team's schedule and using that to predict final standings for the Big 12. So it's not looking good, because it's also predicting a loss this weekend, 19-17, to with only 114 rushing yards for the Cowboys. And while Iowa State also isn't going to have a great offensive day, it's just enough to, to notch out a win. Now, obviously, these numbers and this data can't take into account the intangibles that happen in college football, some of which is that the winner of this game will truly be the shiniest of two turds. Iowa State comes in at 1-2 and two with losses to Iowa in Week 2 and Ohio in Week 3. Their lone win comes at home against Northern Iowa, but this Iowa State team had a run-in with the NCAA this offseason. The NCAA came in and said, Hey, you've got some players that have been gambling on games that they played in. That's a big no-no. So they're not allowed to play anymore. And they lost a lot from that. It's been a tough start to the season for Matt Campbell and company. And even with that, they come into this game as a three-and-a-half point favorite, which is more telling on where Oklahoma State is at at this point than where the Cyclones are at. 
But with both teams coming off of a bad loss and Iowa State losing to their Power 5 opponent, Vegas still sees them as the favorite to win. Even ESPN's matchup predictor gives the Cyclones a 64.1% chance to win. Now another thing that this can account for is that the Cyclones have a top 20 defense, specifically a really good rush defense. Now Oklahoma State's inability to run the ball is going to be put to the test this weekend. Will we be able to move the ball on the ground? Now Oklahoma State is only averaging 118.67 rushing yards a game. We're also averaging 203 passing yards a game for a total of 321. Iowa State is averaging just 86 rushing yards a game, 184 passing yards a game, for a total of 270. They're also only allowing 110 rushing yards a game, 143 passing yards a game. Now, Oklahoma State is averaging 20 points a game, but Iowa State's only allowing 13. Iowa State's only averaging 16.7 points a game, and Oklahoma State's allowing 20. So all of this boils down to a very, very close game this weekend in Ames. And if memory serves me correctly, close games at Iowa State for Oklahoma State usually doesn't go well. 2011 comes to mind. 2021 comes to mind. Those were huge losses for the Cowboys. One of them, actually both of them, took us out of the chance for a national championship. Now, there was a little bit of bittersweet justice this last weekend with for Iowa State. They lost to Ohio on a last-second field goal that went right over the upright in a play that sent shivers down Cowboy fans' spines and had Iowa State fans on Twitter all week talking about how that was totally a good field goal the refs had a bad call and Oklahoma State fans on Twitter saying, yeah, we just don't feel that bad for you. But if the numbers tell us anything, it's that they're not going to be feeling that bad for us this weekend. Now again, these numbers cannot take into account all of the intangibles that exist in college football. But what they do show us is a measurement tool for how we can see success in this game. So we're only predicted to have 114 rushing yards against Iowa State this weekend. So if Oklahoma State comes out and looks like they're rushing the ball really well, that's a really good indicator that we may win this game. If we're able to slow down the passing attack of Iowa State, who's predicted to have 190 passing yards... Well, that's a really good indicator that we may win this game. And this also doesn't take into account turnovers and things like that, penalties. But again, we roll down this schedule for Oklahoma State the rest of this year, and there's not a whole lot of wins out there, according to the numbers. So it's not looking great for the Cowboys this weekend. Now for other teams this weekend, we're, let's, let's take a look at Pete's picks for this week. I'm in a Big 12 pick'em with... My dad and my uncle and my brother-in-law, and we pick every Big 12 game every weekend. And the winner of the week gets a nice little brew from the other ones. And at the end of the year, the total winner gets a six-pack of brews from the other ones. So Pete's picks for this week. You've got Cincinnati hosting OU at 11 a.m. OU comes in as the favorite, 14 and a half points. And I've got OU winning this game. Now, I think it could be a lot closer than what OU fans may be thinking it will be. Cincinnati's coming off of a disappointing loss to Miami of Ohio. I get it. But they've showed promise this year. They've shown that they can do some things offensively that may give the Sooners some fits. Next game, also at 11 a.m., is TCU hosting SMU. The Iron Skillet may be on its last leg. 
This could be the last one for a while. TCU comes in as the favorite of six and a half points. And I've got TCU winning this game. Next game at 2.30 is Kansas hosting BYU. Kansas comes in as the as the favorite, eight and a half points. In what people are thinking could end up being a very different outcome than what Vegas is predicting. And actually, I've got BYU winning this game solely because they're coming off of a huge win at Arkansas. And Kansas is coming off of a close game, very close game. So we'll have to wait and see on this one, but I've got BYU taking the win. Also at 2.30, we've got West Virginia hosting Texas Tech. Tech comes in as the six-point favorite, and I've got Tech actually winning this game. Now I know they've got a loss to Wyoming. Wyoming also played Texas pretty close, and people think they're the third-best team in the nation. And while West Virginia is coming off of a big win against Pitt, well, Pitt also lost Cincinnati, who people don't think is very good. So I've got Tech and all of the talent that they've been able to bring in under Joey McGuire taking a win in Morgantown. At 6 p.m., we've got Houston hosting, hosting Sam Houston. Houston comes in as a 12-point favorite, and I've got them taking the win. Not a whole lot to say about this one. Sam Houston's not a very good team, and I think Houston's able to get it done. 6.30 p.m., we've got Baylor hosting Texas. Now, this is a huge game for Baylor. They've had a very disappointing start to the season. People are starting to call for Dave Aranda's head, and they need something to turn it around. Texas comes in as a 14.5-point favorite, and I've got Texas winning. But boy, wouldn't it be great for Baylor to shock the world right here. Texas is pretty good at finding a way to lose games like this in years where they're supposed to be the Kings. At 7 p.m., we've got Kansas State hosting UCF. Kansas State comes in as a four-point favorite, and UCF is coming in with one of the most high-powered offenses in the nation, but nobody's talking about them. Kansas State's coming in off of a loss to Missouri on a last-second field goal. And while I think Kansas State is a very good team and should very well contend for a Big 12 championship this year, I've got UCF winning this game. Gus Malzahn finds ways to win games that he shouldn't. He's proven that his new offensive coordinator, is capable of putting up big numbers. And he's also proven that his defense is capable of getting timely stops. So that's what we got for this week. I've got OU getting the win over Cincinnati. TCU a win over SMU. BYU a win over Kansas. A little bit of an upset. Tech with a win over West Virginia. Houston with a win over Sam Houston. Texas winning over Baylor. And UCF upsetting Kansas State. And then I've also got Iowa State winning 20-17 to over Oklahoma State. And I hope I'm wrong. Listen, I will ride with this team for the rest of this season and beyond. I hope I'm wrong. I hope my Gundy and company are able to turn this around. But right now, the numbers, the feel, the talk coming out of the locker room, it doesn't look good for the pokes. We'll see if they can turn it around. Now, one fan who doesn't think that Mike Gundy can turn this season around is a guy that goes by OAM1995, who posted on the GoPokes 24-7 message board and said, word is we're going to see a massive exodus of contributors after the Iowa State game. They're going to quit and then enter the portal when it opens. We might not have a starting 22 in two weeks. This is not an exaggeration. From what I know, it's happening. It's why Gundy is acting the way he is. He's getting ready to have a built-in ex excuse that he will probably blame on the players and their greed. 
Now, this guy goes on to say that he was right about Spencer Sanders and Jabbar Muhammad, and that he's right on this, and that the ship is sunk. And it has everything to do with NIL money and making sure the parents slash handlers are taken care of. Now, we don't do that very well. And he's right. We don't do that very well. And at first reading this, I was like, man, there's, there's no way. And I still don't think it's true. Do I think that all of the players for Oklahoma State are going to just quit in the middle of the season and enter the transfer portal when it opens up at the end of the season? No, I don't think that's going to happen. But he makes good points here. We, as fans, do not contribute to the NIL fund very very well. And then immediately after this, you see players posting on social media about how Folks for the Purpose, which is the NIL fund, is open, and we need everybody to contribute to help them out. And while I may, I may not be the biggest proponent for NIL, I think it's gotten a little out of hand, and I think the transfer portal's gotten a little out of hand. But in the world that we live in, this is something that we have to do as fans. If we want to see success, the NIL fund has to be contributed to, whether we think it's right or not. If you want to see success, successful teams contribute to their NIL fund. And one of the names that shocked me the most was Ollie Gordon. Now, Ollie Gordon was talked into staying this offseason, probably promised that he would see the ball a lot more, and he's probably not very happy right now because he had three carries in the last game. So now he's looking around and he's like, okay, well, I was promised the ball. That's not happening. I'm also not getting very much NIL money, which I could easily get from any other school that would quickly snatch up an Ollie Gordon from the transfer portal. And again, while we may not agree with this mindset, that's the world that we live in. And people love Ollie Gordon. And the people want to see Ollie Gordon get the ball. But that's not happening. And we can't control that. But what we can control is how much money he's getting from NIL. Now, I'm not telling you to go donate some absurd amount of money to the NIL fund that you don't have. I don't have that money. But what I am saying is that somebody somewhere that does have a little bit of extra change could make a big difference in this season and the next one. I don't know what that looks like. Again, I know times are tough, but something's got to change. And obviously the coaching staff is not going to change anytime soon, and Gundy's not going to change his ways anytime soon. He's been pretty good at sticking to the exact thing that he does and never changing and it magically working out for him. I don't think this is one of those times. He doesn't like the transfer portal, and he's said that. And last year, he said that he thought the transfer portal would slow down, and all it did was ramp up even more. He doesn't like NIL, and he said that, and it shows. So when you see a mass exodus of players like he did last year, that are mad because what they're being promised on the field isn't happening, and probably what they're being promised off the field in NIL also isn't happening. So when Gundy gets up on stage and says that we have no major problems, and he's talking specifically about the game... Yes, fans are going to disagree with that. There were major problems in that game. But some more major problems that we have outside of just that game is some of these players are pissed. They've been promised all of these great things and they're not receiving it. Now, part of that starts with a change in the coaching staff. But again, that's not going to happen anytime soon. The other side of that comes from the fans. Now, I know we're all loyal and true we show up to all the games and we pack Boone Pickens and we're loud. 
and we support. But something's got to get figured out on this NIL stuff. Like it or not, it's the world we live in. So that's what I have for you guys today. I know it seems like a lot of doom and gloom. Pete's projections are showing a 3-9 and nine season. But I want to reiterate that our alma mater says loyal and true for a reason. As Cowboy fans, we've been through some dark times and we've seen some great days. But no matter what, we show up and we support. We're rowdy. We pack BPS and GIA and we love our team. And it has to stay that way. I know the season's not looking great and it's easy to get down and it's easy to get angry and not watch and not show up. But the support from the fans who are loyal and true has always been there and it has to stay that way. I know for myself, I'll never stop supporting. I'll be there for the games. I've got season tickets. I'll watch the games that are on TV. And I love this team. And I always will. I hope you do too. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want more content like this or you you want to see the spreadsheet for Pete's projections, you can find me on Twitter at Pete's Playbook. You can find the podcast on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, and YouTube. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, go folks. And until next week, see ya. See ya.